Welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I'll be joined by my occasional co-star, my sweet grandmother, Mimi. We've spent many of our days tending to our plants and animals on East Meadow Farm, but now we are embarking on a new project, the Chelsea in the Meadow podcast. We started this podcast to help guide you through the process of maintaining your own home garden. On our show, we truly believe that everyone can grow, and we want to help you, the listeners, be successful by sharing what we've learned from our experiences as longtime horticulturalists. Join us each week for tips on how to attain the garden of your dreams. In this week's episode on Chelsea in the Meadow, we continue with soil and give tips on how to get the ideal growing medium for you. We cover how to build up different soil components, how to balance your soil pH, and how to add life back into your soil. Listen on for tips about building your garden soil. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. So we're going to start off this week with our five-minute meadow update. And this week on the farm here at East Meadow, we have been working on seed saving. So we've been collecting some of the seeds from our beans and our peppers. And um, we sort of want to talk about how you can go about the process yourself of saving seed. So the important thing is to make sure that the plants that you are saving seed from is an heirloom. Right, Mimi? Yes, correct. Correct. So we've made sure that our beans and our peppers are heirlooms because if they're not heirlooms and they're hybrids, then you're not certain you're going to get that same plant when you replant the seed in the spring. So you have to be sure that the plant that you're taking the seed from is for sure going to come up next year as the same one that you got this year. So we have done it for our beans and the way we do it for our beans is we leave the pods on the plants for a really long time. (laughs) They dry out themselves on the vine and over time they're going to turn from their beautiful green color to the white dried color They might get some brown or black spots on them. But once you peel away this um, outer pod shell on the inside, the beans will have um, be hard and white and look just like what you'd get out of a seed packet. Now, do you know if we dry our beans, Mimi? We do. Sometimes, because the weather is getting cold and we're afraid of a frost, we'll actually pick all those green pods and we put them in our big straw baskets under cover. Um, Usually we use our greenhouse because it doesn't get that cold at night in the beginning. And then they're spread out in the warmth of the sun during the day. And then eventually we have to sit down and crack them all open and get a basket of seed. And each pod gives us, if it's grown well and it's um, had a fulfillment time, we're getting eight, 10 beans out of a pod. So we use about 60 seeds here. And so it does 
you don't have to tackle the whole basket. <laughs> you can go through and pick the very most beautiful pods, crack those open, package the seed up. We keep, once we've packaged them, we get, label it and with what it is and the year that we collected them, and then they go in the refrigerator. You just need to keep seeds cool and the refrigerator is the perfect spot. And if you have some kind of a container with a snap-on lid, it's even better. So, and that's what we do with beans. Every seed we collect gets um, handled a little differently. So the next one is a couple beans, a, a couple of peppers that Chelsea will tell you. Yeah, for our pepper seeds. Now, I've been watching my mom go through the process of uh, shelling off, taking the seeds out of the peppers on the outside, but we've been cutting open our peppers, taking the seeds out, separating them, and then putting them in our dehydrator for six hours or so, six, eight hours at 100 degrees, just like what they would do in a desert climate, right? Because peppers are from um, the southwestern area. So they go through that process in a desert of drying, baking in that hot sun, and then getting buried in that sandy uh, soil. And then a the next time during the springtime they've gone through that process, they're ready to sprout. So we fake that process by using our dehydrator and setting it at a temperature that would likely happen in a desert climate, like 100 degrees. They say they want the moisture content of those seeds to be 8%. And then we do the same thing with them. We wrap them up, put them in a little envelope, label them again on the front, and pop them in the refrigerator. And we only do, again, things that are an heirloom. Because if we try to do things that are hybrid, again, like Chelsea said, we won't know where we're getting, and that is not what we're after. So sometimes I'll take one like this year that didn't germinate very well in the seed packet that I bought. So we raised our peppers until they were ripe. They were yellow, then they went to orange, and then finally they were deep red. And that's the peppers that I took. And I only took like three or four, and I got plenty of seed for next year. So anyway, we love doing it. It's just one, it's sort of one of the hobby sides of this. There's always more physical things we could be doing, but we think it's fun next spring when we plant them and up they come so yeah it's really kind of special to think that you keep this going I don't know it's it's kind of special to like do it this way we haven't bought bean seeds in years we just keep saving bean seeds and at the end of the season I throw away last year's which I probably don't need to because seeds keep year after year but if they're handled correctly but um, with the beans it's just there are so many in front of you it's like one more thing in the refrigerator so I usually clean out the seed box start with a fresh box and off we go into next year so it's one of our first steps into next year really that and planting garlic and once we get the garlic in the ground then we're done planting for the year which comes up this week yeah so for our Big part of our episode this week, since last week we talked about uh, soil, we're still sort of on the topic of soil, but we wanted to kind of go into it a little bit deeper and 
describe how you can turn your soil into what you want it to be for your vegetable garden. And we go into the different components of soil, like how much topsoil you'd want, how much compost, um, how to fill your beds. So we're just going to get started here. Now, for your vegetable bed, it, you know, for the size of it, it doesn't really matter the size, whether it's, you know, eight by four or, you know, 12 by eight or something. You still want the same amount of um, inches of the uh, same amount of layers as you would for any of them. So you'd still want a good five inches of topsoil in the vegetable bed. That doesn't matter about length or width. It's the depth of the soil. So you want ideally five inches of topsoil and then a two inch layer of compost. And you can go online. There's lots of uh, soil calculators so when you want to figure out how much soil do I want to buy in or how much bag soil do I need to buy, you can enter in your square footage of your vegetable bed and the calculators will tell you how much you need, but they're not always the most accurate. They're very generous. We think they're very generous. <laughs> That's right. Mimi just was working on one of her beds uh, outside of her house and had added several bags of compost to the top yeah. and six cubic feet I added into my bed and it told me I needed 11.67 so twice as much as I put on so either I didn't put it on as thick as I thought or they're being very generous <laughs> <laughs> yeah so again it's for you to it's for you for your discretion for you to decide how much you really want I mean you want a good amount of soil for your plants to go into ideally you'd want like a nice comfy 12 inches that your hand can just deep uh, dig deep down so that way it's easier for the roots to move through that beautiful soil but it is for your discretion too and we also want to know if you're making a raised bed, you don't need the whole raised bed to be pure soil. You can fill the bottom of it. I think we've said it before, but um, nice to note again that you can fill the bottom of the bed with sod or flipped grass that you've dug up from the walking path rows. and Or the area that you're going to plant. Exactly. <laughs> or the area that you would want to plant and just flop it into your raised bed. And it's the same thing if you're not making a raised bed. Exactly. It just means that you're not buying the lumber, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> so flip that grass on in there and then add your topsoil and compost. And you can mix that together if you want. But at this time of year, normally, I mean, we're going through the process of adding more compost in for these beds to replenish the nutrients that they've lost during the summer months. But we aren't mixing those in. The worms are going to mix those in as well. So if you're just adding compost to your beds right now, you don't have to worry as much. But if you're making a new bed, you might want to mix it in. Another thing for making your new vegetable bed you might have soil that is really thick 
and compact or maybe very sandy yeah thin and sandy and doesn't stick together very well so there are ways to make it more ideal for planting a vegetable garden we often have to add peat moss to our beds which is a um it's a aerating and soil retention sort of fixing material it comes from decomposed mosses, often um, sphagnum moss, and it causes the soil to become a little bit more acidic, but really only in large quantities does it do that. So if you're looking to put in um, blueberry beds, I think maybe mentioned this last time, uh, she used peat moss, right? Yes, to- yes. No compost, just peat moss and topsoil. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. To make it more acidic for those blueberries. But for a regular old vegetable bed, it's okay to add, you know, enough so that way you get that extra aeration and water retention. It's really a special material because it works on those two different kind of fronts with not enough water, like if it's dried out peat moss, it's going to push the water away. It's not going to want it. But after you soak it and it's been sitting in water, it can hold how much, Mimi? 200 times its weight. It's amazing. It's an amazing material. So that's why it's often used in soil bags and, you know, potting mixes. And we buy it in big bales and we'll add it to our beds and to our mixes so that way we can get a material that's lighter and will retain the water that we want it to hold. And one of the ways you can test your soil once you have it all done is you take a handful of soil and you gently squeeze it together and then let your fingers release and it should hold that imprint of your hand when you touch it with your thumb, if you can picture it. So you squeeze the soil gently, release your fingers, touch that ball of soil with your thumb, it should fall apart. If it doesn't, then you don't have enough drainage. If it doesn't stay together when you squeeze it, then you don't have enough compost, organic matter, etc. in it. And it's a simple test to do. So once you get it all put together and you've got five inches of topsoil there and you got a couple inches of compost and a couple inches of peat moss and you'll probably need either a shovel or a pitchfork and you toss it all around, give it a few days to settle, maybe even a rain to settle it all, and then give it this hand test, it will give you an idea if you have an appropriate mix or whether you need to add something to lighten it if it doesn't break apart or you need to add something to stick it together and both of those things will be compost and peat moss okay yeah they work in like a combination with each other often when you're working to get the soil to be what you want it to be you're working with topsoil peat moss and compost so those when you're looking to make your bed that you want to make sure you have those things on hand 
Right. They're the basic starting point, just like any recipe that you would make in your house. You need a recipe for soil. And then we usually top our bed off, especially if it's spring for you. Um, We top it off with an organic fertilizer and in the recommended amount that the package says. We use a product called made by a company called Espoma. And Espoma makes every kind of fertilizer. Fertilizers for holly bushes and blueberry bushes, fertilizers for your garden, fertilizers for any need you need, anything you need. And they're all organic at this point. Um, It's a great thing that the company did a number of years ago, which was to change everything over into organics. They even make a mix that you can fill your beds, your raised beds directly with. It's a little more expensive to do it that way. But if you're loading bags into your car and you don't have access to a pickup truck or anything like that, then maybe those bags work for you. But it's a complete planting mix. So, And it works. It's a good starting place. And then each year, you'll add a few more things every year to make up, like Chelsea said, for the nutrition that the plants have taken out. And you'll eventually get the soil that you want by watching how it works. Right, right. And when you do buy your soil bags in and get maybe potting mixes or sometimes when you even get your seedlings and you take them out of their little packaging or getting ready to put them into the ground, they'll have these little white looking styrofoam balls in the soil. And you might think, huh, like what is that? Now that is perlite. It works sort of similarly to like what peat moss does. Peat moss does a better job for it and like use is used on a wider scale and more uh, has a more variety in different soils. Whereas like perlite is pretty, I think, specific to potting soils. And um, the nice part about perlite is that it um, it adds aeration to the soils. You can add more or less of it. You can buy it in like a bulk bag of just straight perlite. And if you add more, there's going to be more aeration to it. It'll become more almost like a not, it won't be a sandy soil, but it'll act almost like a sandy soil. So things like cacti and succulents like a soil with a lot of perlite in it. So you can make a a succulent mix or cacti mix by adding more perlite to it. And it's a rock mineral that um, is excavated from like a volcanic rock. So it's been heated a really, really long time to make it really like porous and light. And when you get it and pick it out of a potting soil bag, you can stick it between your two fingers and crunch it. And it's going to give like almost like a sandy sound and a sandy kind of feeling, like a crunchy rock feeling between your fingers. And that's how you know that it's perlite. Right. So we're going to move on to another kind of topic of dealing with your soil and getting it to what you want it to be, which would be balancing the pH. And um, compost kind of does that for you. Compost is going to raise the pH level. 
keep it at that. You're usually looking at that 6.7, 6.8 for all the vegetables and things that you would want to grow and all your normal everyday perennials and annual flowers. Um, so I think uh, it's definitely, it's going to happen on its own. You're not going to need to help it too much unless you're looking to grow something that has specific requirements. So and then you'd want the old soil test to tell you what your <laughs> soil is. So, um, but that only happens on occasion and when people are growing something special like us with a great big bed of blueberries. So, right, right. And it, just a quick little tip it's really easy to raise the pH level, but it's kind of hard to make it go down. So, when you're looking to, um, raise the pH level and you're starting to really bring it up, just remember that. <laughs> Try not to bring it up too high because it's, it is hard to make it go back down to what you want it to be. Yeah. The rule of thumb is don't add any limestone, which is the way you bring up a pH, unless you've had a soil test done. And on the soil test, they'll recommend how much limestone you would put on for 100 square feet. For most of us, we never, ever have to add any lime. So the last kind of thing that we want to really hit on, and it's important because we all know how important microorganisms are in your soil. So adding life back into your soil and sort of how to do it. Now you can buy microorganisms for your soil and you can buy special compost that has a lot of microorganisms in it for your soil, but you can also use compost tea which is what we use a lot at our house. And it is our catch-all problem fixer with our plants and when our plants are sick. It is often our just key go-to. We make our own compost tea, so we're going to explain a little bit of how we do it here at East Meadow. But um, you can buy compost tea at, you know, big um Growing places, you can find it online usually, and um, you want to make sure that the it's fresh, it's fresh, <laughs> right? You want to make sure that the organisms in it are living, not dead, because when it's just um, manure sitting in water and just sitting there for a long time, and then you just dump it on your plants, that's not good for them. That's not what compost tea is. Compost tea has living microorganisms that are happy and often live in an aerobic environment. So we'll go into that a little bit. So first we take, Mimi buys in compost. Now you could use your own compost. Yep, you can use your own compost. The only reason I buy it is they assure me that it's loaded with the correct microorganisms that we want for our tea. And we buy it from a company called Kiss Organics. And I just buy one, um, whatever, a couple pounds of it a year. And we make compost tea at least once a month for the season. If it's a brand, and we use it on our apple trees, we use it on our shrubs around our house, we use it on every 
plant that's um, growing in the vegetable garden. We try to hit everybody about once a month. If we were even better, we'd do it every other week. If I was a home gardener, I'd tr- I'd be aiming for other, every other week. Yeah, it it's so packed with the nutrients or with the microorganisms from the compost, and you want those on your plants, physically on the plants, not just in the soil. So we go through a process of taking that compost and letting it sit in a bucket with water and a bubbler, and that is the key. The bubbler adds the air into the water, is constantly circulating the water and the compost together, and you brew it over a 24-hour, 18 to 24-hour period. And this allows any fungi, any microorganisms that are living in that compost, all that stuff that you want to separate from that compost. So we talked last episode about the soil structure and how these microorganisms and fungi, what how they help that soil structure. So now in this bucket, we're trying to agitate that and separate that structure so that way we can take them out of that soil and put them on our plants. So after it's been brewing for that time period, they're going to go into some sort of sprayer system. If you were at home and only had a spray bottle, that would do. But here we have a pump sprayer and we add the solution to the pump sprayer, and then dispense it onto all the foliage, all the stems, everything on the soil, on the stems, on the fruit, on the leaves. This creates a microbial shield on all of those surfaces. So that way when bad bacteria, bad fungi go onto the plants, they can't get in because these microbes have created a barrier that they can't pass through. At the same time that we're doing this, we're adding a little bit of fertilizer to the mix too. Do you want to add about that, Meme? Sure, because when the mic- when the compost tea goes on the leaf surface, it opens what they call stomata, which are like the pores of the leaf. And so the theory is if those pores are open, then why don't we get a little fertilizer in there at the same time? So it's like an extra boost for the plant. So we use a fish and seaweed fertilizer put out by Neptune's Harvest. And it's it's diluted more in that. In other words, we'll take... Uh, five gallons of compost tea. We'll break it down and add 19 gallons of water into our big field sprayer. And then we add one gallon of fish, which isn't a lot of fertilizer. It's just enough to give them a boost. It doesn't take the place of their regular feeding. Okay. So then when we spray it on and we have it dripping off, uh, that plant is covered, it's protected, it cuts down on 
on, as Chelsea said, on uh, funguses and viruses that are traveling through. And and um, it truly works. Uh, when we first discovered this years ago and learned about it, didn't discover it, we learned about it, um, we did our entire nursery. And it happened to be, it was supposed to be a beautiful day. It turned out to be a sort of overcast, light shower day, which I think actually helped it, helped it spread the compost tea all over everything. And I walked through about four or five hours later, and I really, truly thought we had killed everything. Every leaf was gray or brown and hanging down off the plants. And I walked through the whole nursery and I thought, oh, I don't know what we've done. And we waited. And as the foliage dried out, the dead foliage fell off and the new foliage sprouted out. And never, ever, ever again did that happen. So it proved to me how much disease was in and on these plants. And we still do that now. We'll have a plant that doesn't look terrific. And after teeing, I go and check it out and I'm counting on every one of those brown spots being totally dried up and almost paper-like. And that's exactly what it does. So for us, it's how we keep everything healthy and ready to be planted. And the runoff goes in the ground. We, our orchard, when we first put it in, had the saddest grass. And now we have the most beautiful, looks like a golf course out there. It's so beautiful. So, and I know part of it is that we mow, but also the other part is it's getting a regular dose of compost tea. They say monthly for the first year. And then after that, you, they literally say you could do it once a year, but we still do it in our orchard about, we aim for four times a year and we hope we get four. Sometimes we get three depending on the weather. Yeah. We love our compost tea. It's something that I haven't really seen. I've worked at a few other places that were organic and followed organic practices, but they hadn't really heard of compost teaing. And yet it's the difference that it makes on our own plants is uncom uncomparable. Correct. Correct. It just, it, it fixes so much. I mean, anytime we have any bad bugs, anytime we have any bad anything, I mean, tomato blight, something that we is a constant problem for everyone, I think. And it's such a good combater of that. We have beautiful tomatoes partially because of that, partially because we also make sure that they're all fed and all happy, but also because of our compost tea. So it really, I definitely highly suggest um, doing it. And as you're creating your compost piles, and um, starting to get into organic gardening, it's something to consider and research for yourself if you're curious about it more. But it also, it's something that you can do at home that really makes a world of difference. And I, again, highly suggest exploring that for yourself to see how it works. It's a little bit of a, a project and um, only because you you have to do it in the right timing, et cetera. And, um, but making five gallons of compost tea, 
Uh, maybe it'll get to the point where you could share your brewing system or something like that. Because then when we're done, if we've made it for the garden, we always have some left over. So we've put it in um, empty soda bottles and we freeze it in our deep freeze. And I had read an article by a gentleman up in Alaska and he said, you could freeze it without any problems. So I freeze it. And then if we just want a little, we pull out one or two of those bottles, let them defrost for the morning. And by the afternoon, they're in the sprayer. Um, You can't hold it forever without it being agitated. So you do have to, once you defrost it, you have to use it. But it might help. So if you had a bunch of neighbors who wanted to join in, maybe you brew it and share it with them and it goes in their freezers and you only have to make it a few times a year. So, because on a small scale, it sounds a little overwhelming, but I think you could work it out. Yeah. So this is this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a little bit more in our excited about compost tea and hopefully if you do start trying it out at home send us some feedback send us some pictures we'd love to see that change and how healthy your plants are definitely reach out to us you can find us on instagram as well and you can tag us as you're posting your pictures of your happy plants wherever you are in the world we'd love to see it and hear back from you guys so definitely hit us up Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Great. (laughs) See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button and the little bell so that you are the first to know when we've released a new episode. Feel free to tell your friends or anyone that might like to listen. Another great way to support us is by rating us on the Apple Podcast app. This allows other listeners to find us more easily so they can check us out for themselves. Lastly, we want to thank those of you that have decided to donate to the podcast. It allows for us to pay for our equipment and software so that way we can continue to make the content that you all love. If you can and would like to support us in that way, there are links on our website, eastmeadoworchard.com, and also in the bio of our Instagram page, at Chelsea in the Meadow. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This show was brought to you by Red Circle. It was edited by Chelsea Braz. Our master engineer was Ben Braz. And a special thanks to Barbara Dombrowski, Kristen Braz, and East Meadow Farm and Orchard for helping us make this possible. <laughs>